Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. I'm glad you joined us in this room here. I'm glad you joined us online. Um, this morning, we're going to jump right in to text. We're going to be in Job chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one if you're in the room today. You leave a blue Bible just like this. If you're online, I'd love to mail one to you. Um, just like this. Just send a message right now saying you need a Bible. I'd love to get one to you so you can have it. As we were talking through this year and looking ahead, what were we going to preach, what were we going to teach and, and, and lean into? We remembered our values around here. Our number one value is that we start with Jesus. Every time and everything, we start with Jesus. Other values that we are a family, values that we are generous, that we are going toward what is next, that we are leading the way and and how we live and how we interact in our community and we wanted to preach things that are in line with our values and who God has made us to be. We also started looking at how this last year has gone and realizing that a year ago, a year ago we had a lot of plans, we had a lot of things laid out, and now a year later things are vastly different for many of us. And so over the first six months this year, we're going to lean in to that. We're going to preach and teach things that God has been saying to us and laying on our hearts about where we are as a culture, as a family, and as individuals, and how we go next through this. We're kicking off a series called Unplanned today. And maybe it feels like your life is a little unplanned at the moment. Things that you're experiencing day-to-day normals right now, you never dreamed possible a year ago, but we are going to lean into what happens when everything begins to fall apart and unravel, because we know one thing, and that is that God's plan has not unraveled. It has not fallen apart, no matter what it feels like to you and I right now. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into Job chapter 1. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, bringing us into this room. Thank you for bringing us into this online space. Thank you for bringing us into the, the, the same presence of you. You are everywhere to be worshipped by everyone all at the same time. And Father, we are thankful for that. I pray that the songs we've been singing would be honoring and giving praise to you. And I pray now that through your word you would speak to us. You would let us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what our next step is in you. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Job chapter 1, we're going to read a couple of chapters of Job uh, through today and just talk about what do we do when everything falls apart. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, it begins by saying, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Pretty simple first sentence for the book of Job. Now, a few things we don't know. I don't exactly know where Uz was. Unintentional rhyme. I don't exactly know where Uz was located. I, I don't know exactly what ethnicity Job was. I don't know what religious affiliation he was. But I do know some things about Job's character because the book of Job tells us these things right here about Job's character. We read in the next sentence, it says, This man, that is Job, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. We know that about Job. We know some things uh, about his family. He had seven sons, he had three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Things we learned about Job right away. We know he was blameless and upright. He was not filled with sin, but he was filled with character. Character that reflected and honored God no matter what he knew of God. His character honored his creator. We know that he had a large family. We know he had livestock, a livelihood, probably a lot of property. We know he's married. We know things about Job right here. And the next sentence tells us that Job was the greatest man among all the men, all the people of the East. He was the greatest man among all of them. He was honored. He was listened to. He had a lot of influence. When he spoke, people did what he said because he had influence because he was the greatest man of all the people of the East. The next paragraph tells us a little bit about Job's customs. It says that his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is Job's regular custom. So the first two paragraphs of the book of Job tell us some things about who Job is. He's a man of character. He's a man of influence. He has a large family. He wanted his family to be pure. We know he's blameless and upright. He feared God. He trembled before God. He trusted God. And he shunned evil. And the thing we're going to learn about Job is something we've maybe learned about ourselves as well. It's that trusting God is easy. It's easy to trust God when everything is going your way. Job right here, it's, it's easy for Job to trust God when everything's going his way. His family's thriving, his Business is thriving. His home is doing great. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. It's easy to trust God when everything is going your way. Maybe you've watched before on TV. You've turned on TV to an awards show, the Oscars or the Grammys, or maybe you watched the Super Bowl or a World Series and you've seen an athlete that's won, a celebrity that's won an award, a singer that put out a hit record, a, a big album, and they get interviewed. How often do you hear them say, first of all, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to mock the person that says that. But how often do you hear those words in a moment of victory, in a moment of everything's going right, and then you turn on the song that they wrote, or you watch the, the words they shout in the end zone celebration, or you see something else, and their life doesn't reflect that they're trusting God. Their life reflects that they're doing their own thing to build their own name, to build their own kingdom, to get their own wealth, to get their own celebration. It's easy, though, when things are going well, to turn and say, I want to trust God. So when someone tells me they trust God, I don't want to hear about the celebration. I don't want to hear about the victory. I don't want to hear how everything's going so great. I want to hear about the struggles. If you come talk to me and you say, Adam, I'm just trusting God with everything I have, that's great. Tell me about the struggles. Because in my experience, when we're trusting God, struggles come along. 
in my experience, when I'm trusting God, things get hard. In my experience, when I give my life over to God, there's an enemy named Satan that wants to trip me and to trap me and to foil my plan. Things get hard. Trusting God is easy when everything goes your way. But it's in the pain, the struggle, the suffering. That is the test of your trust. That is what says if your trust is real or not. Job trusts God. I don't think there's anything in the text to say otherwise. But Job's about to go through some difficult times. In the very next verse, the focus of the story of the camera moves from Job to the throne room in heaven. And it says, it says one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. They came to be before God, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Well, Satan answered the Lord, I've come from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Well, what in the world is Satan roaming the earth for? Unless he's looking for people to attack. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 5, we know that our enemy is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. He's going back and forth across the earth looking for people to destroy. That has never changed from this day to this day. It's never changed. He says, I've come back from roaming the earth. And then the Lord says to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and he's upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And you know what God is doing right there? You, you know what he's doing? God is, he's, he's bragging on Job. He, he's, he's telling somebody how proud he is of his kid, of his son, Job, his creation. In fact, as I read those words, I almost, I almost hear the, the smile come on God's face. He, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered it? There's no one on earth like Job. There's no one on earth like him, like my son. There's no one, there's no one on earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He has high character. He does the right thing. He takes care of people. He fears God, he trembles before God, he trusts God, and he shuns evil. God is proud of Job. Just look at Job. Just in the last couple of weeks, at Christmas time, my, my three youngest kids, four, five, and seven-year-old kids, they, uh, they got bicycles for Christmas, all three of them. It's chaos on Caitlin's Circle right now. They got bicycles. None of them had ridden bicycles before. And so we went out to teach them how. All three bikes have training wheels on them. They're all three learning at the same time. And my seven-year-old gets on that bike, and she's gone. No problem. My five-year-old gets on that bike, and she's real tentative. And she starts off, and she's, she's going along, and I'm kind of helping her along. And then she gets it, and she's gone. My little four-year-old, he gets on there, and he can't figure out how his legs work on the thing. And he's trying, he's going, he's getting it now. He's starting to get it, but he's slow with it, right? But he's starting to get it. And we rode bikes for a while, and then we, it, it got dark like at noon because it's wintertime. And so we went and put the bikes up in the garage. And then the next day, we got them back out again. And same thing, seven-year-old's gone, five-year-old's gone, four-year-old's kind of limping along on the road out there. And 
I'm like, come on, dude, I know you can do it. I believe in you. And then he, he started doing it on his own. He's slow still, but he's on it. I was like, yes. And I'm celebrating. I'm cheering. I'm jumping around the street like, yes. And then he tries to run me over. Because that's what four-year-olds on bikes do. The next day, we get the bikes out again. I tell my seven-year-old, today's the day. Today's the day. Training wheels are coming off. I'm excited. She's not. She's like, no, Dad, no, Dad, please, Dad, no, Dad, please, no. I was like, no, nope, I know better. My plan is better than your plan. You can't have training wheels forever, so they're off. She's like, no, put them back on. I was like, no. So we went to the road, and I held the bike, and she got on the bike. And I had the handlebar, and I had the back of her seat. And I said, let's go down the street. So we start going down the street there, and, and I'm, like, holding her, going down the street. And then she starts to straighten up some. I let go of the handlebar and hold the back of the seat. I let go. She crashes. She says, I knew I would do it. I knew I would crash. I said, no, I believe in you. I believe in you. We get back up. I hold the back of the seat. We run along behind the bike again, or I do, and let go. She crashes. And we do this over and over and over again until one time I'm running along behind that bike, bent over like this, run down the street as fast as I can go. I'm not built for that, y'all. And so we're going down the street, and I let go, mainly because I'm about to die, and I let go. And she just keeps going. And I'm doubled over trying to catch my breath. And she's going down the street, and she gets way down the street and starts to turn around. I think she was turning on accident, but she was turning around. And then she sees I'm way back here. And she's like, you let go. And I'm like, I let go. And she rides back up to me. And we're cheering, arms in the air. We're celebrating. We're high-fiving. It's, it's a party out there. Then she tried to run me over. Because that's what kids do on bikes. And it's a celebration. And so then my wife gets home. I'm like, like Grace, you got to see this. And so we get little pictures of her on our bike. And we're celebrating. Because that's what parents do. God made you, and God made Job, he wants to celebrate with you. He wants to be celebrated by you. And when Satan comes into the throne room and tells God, I've been roaming across the earth looking for some of your kids to destroy. God says, have you seen Job? I don't think you'll find him so easy. I'm proud of this one. This one here's got to figure it out because he's learned that if he just trusts me and he just shuns evil, that he can endure anything. He can endure anything that comes his way. Have you seen him? He's got a big smile on his face. Satan. He's an arguer, right? He's an arguer. He comes back at God. And in the next verse, verse number 9, he says, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You blessed the work of his hands. So his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face because that's the kind of Life, Satan lives. Everything Satan does is selfish. And so he assumes everybody else is selfish. He says, if you just strike down all of Job's stuff, he'll curse you. If you just take away the things that make him happy, he'll curse you. His trust isn't real. Just let his things go away. 
So the Lord says to Satan, very well then, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Do not lay a finger. And then it says, one day, this sad discourse, one day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and they made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And now Job is trying to wrap his mind around this. He has now lost his oxen and his donkeys and all the servants that are watching these animals, these livestock. But While he was still speaking, another messenger showed up and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And so now Job's trying to wrap his mind around that. The oxen, the donkeys, the servants, the sheep, those servants, they're all gone. But while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. So now it's the oxen, the donkeys, the servants, the sheep, those servants, the camels, those servants, they're all gone. But while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And right there in four short paragraphs, Job has lost everything. He lost his livestock, his servants, his livelihood, his home, his children. Everything's gone. Everything fell. But we have to take note. We have to take note that Satan's attacks on Job are all external. They're all external. Because Job was a man who was upright and blameless. He had no sin in him that needed to be confessed. He had no sin in him that needed to be repented of and changed. Because of that, all of Satan's attacks on him were external. Satan was roaming about, looking for things to destroy people with, looking at Job. Now this is a challenge for Satan, looking at Job, but he can't find anything internal to attack Job with, so it's all external things. I don't know about you, but so often when I have struggled with something, when I have suffered with something, when I have gone through some kind of pain or some kind of turmoil or some kind of hurt or heartache, so often... My suffering is self-inflicted. In fact, the more I learn about people, I would wager that so often the suffering that you experience is self-inflicted. So often it's self-inflicted because we enter into relationships or we enter into experiences or into neighborhoods or jobs or schools. We enter in with some deep-seated jealousy inside of us. And when Satan roams across the earth, he sees that and he latches on to that jealousy. So often my suffering, your suffering, is self-inflicted. 
Maybe it's not jealousy for you. Maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe you're not jealous of what other people have. Maybe yours is idolatry. Maybe, maybe you actually put other things, other people, in the place of God. And, and you pursue that thing, that dollar sign, that person, that relationship in place of God. And sure, you give lip service to God and, and you worship Him in, in song, but when you turn and you walk out of the room, you know that you're really pursuing something else. Your suffering is self-inflicted. Maybe for you, it's sexual immorality. When you read the Word of God, I'm convinced more and more in the Word of God that Jesus and the Bible talks about heaven a little bit, but it talks about how we live on the way to heaven a whole lot. And over and over, it's very clear not to sin sexually. Any sexual encounter, period, that's not with your spouse is sexual immorality. It's a sin. Whether that's an affair or that's pornography or that's just lust or just thoughts or whatever it is, it's sexual morality. With a boyfriend, with a girlfriend, with a thing, it's sexual morality. And our suffering so often is self-inflicted. Maybe for you it's rage. Maybe you try to hide it, but everybody around you really knows you're just angry. Maybe it's rage. Maybe it's just a lack of self-discipline, of self-control. And you just can't stay in control of yourself. Maybe it's an addiction, a habit, something that continually pulls you into suffering. So often when I suffer, and I think when you suffer, it is self-inflicted. And the only way out of that, the only solution to that, period, is to confess it as sin, to repent of it, which is to change the way you think about it, and to shun it as evil, and let God transform you. That's the only way out of it. But see, for Job here, all of Satan's attacks are external. Satan couldn't find an internal trigger. So it says in the next verse that Job's response to all of this, he didn't need to confess. There was only one thing he could do. It says he, at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground and worshipped. Have you ever worshipped through your grief? Have you ever worshipped through your heartache? you're suffering, you're struggling is one of the most difficult and beautiful and healing things he fell to the ground in worship and he said naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the Lord be praised and in all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing, if this were me in Job's place I would have been tempted I think to complain a little bit right here to accuse God of taking all the things that I loved away and that would have, that would have revealed my self-inflicted suffering my selfishness and my idolatry but in all this, Job did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. 
I want to encourage you to focus less on the suffering that Job endured, and I want you to focus a little more on the character that he displays as he enters that suffering. The character he displays as he walks into that suffering. So the question is, if you live a life of high moral and godly character, does that mean you will avoid all suffering? The answer is no. Because you still live in a world that is broken by sin where Satan roams back and forth looking for people to devour. But if you live a life of high moral and high godly character, then you will be able to endure anything that Satan throws at you externally. If you make sure you enter every situation and every moment upright and blameless and pure and godly with integrity and high character, reflecting the character of the God who created you, if you enter every moment like that, then you'll be able to weather every storm that Satan throws at you from the outside. Every one of them. In all this, Job did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. Chapter 2 starts off like this. On another day, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord asked Satan again, where have you come from? Same question. Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Same answer again. Same answer. I'm looking for someone to devour. Nothing changes. Then the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Little smile. You hear the smile there? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. A little bragging again, but then I hear a change in God's tone. He goes from bragging about Job to looking Satan square in the eyes and says, and he still maintains integrity. Because God has been watching this all happen. God's been seeing all the pain Job's been going through. God's been feeling compassion for it all through. He says, have you seen Job? He's upright. He's blameless. Fears God. Shuns evil. And he still maintains that integrity. Still. Even though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason, he still maintains his integrity. There's nothing you can do, Satan, to get rid of that because Job trusts me no matter what. And every tragedy that Job endures, that tragedy proves his trust more and more. He still maintains his integrity. Satan replies back, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but how, now stretch out your hand, strike his flesh and bones. He'll surely curse you to your face. Because again, Satan lives in a world where it's all self-centered. Make him sick, then he'll curse you. The Lord says, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. That's not a pretty picture, is it? Scraped himself with a broken dish. And then his wife said to him, his wife, the one family member he has left, the one person still there with him, 
His wife comes out not to encourage, but to discourage. She says, are you still maintaining your integrity, Job? Are you still? Curse God and die. Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I'm going to trust no matter what. And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Trust isn't always pretty. But it always perseveres. Trust isn't always pretty, but it always perseveres. For Job, this is not a pretty moment. Job was sitting there in the ashes of his home, in the ashes of his livelihood, in the ashes of all of his plans. Everything has come unraveled. The greatest man of all the people in all the East is now sitting on a rock in the middle of the ashes of his life, scraping his sores with a broken dish. Trust isn't always pretty. Sometimes trusting God doesn't mean other people look at you and say, oh, I want more of that. Sometimes it's not pretty, but it always perseveres. Because trust is not dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on the one you put your trust in. And he hasn't gone anywhere. Trust isn't always perfect, but it always perseveres. Job, if you were to read through the rest of the book of Job, and I would encourage you to do so, if you read through the rest of it, three people that call themselves friends show up, and they begin to argue with Job and talk with Job, and they begin to complain with Job, and they encourage him to curse God, and Job complains a little bit. It's not a perfect trust. Job has some serious questions here. What happened to the plan, God? What happened to the life, God? What happened? I thought I was doing the right thing, God, but how did this all fall apart? Trust isn't always perfect. But it always perseveres because trust is not dependent on the circumstances, the situation you find yourself in. Trust depends on the one you put it on. Job says, I'll trust no matter what, even when it's not pretty, even when it's not perfect. And if you keep reading through Job 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, 35, 36, 37, all these 37 chapters, God never speaks. And Job is just yelling into the storm. He's just yelling into the storm of his life, where are you? His trust hasn't wavered, but things aren't pretty and things aren't perfect, and there's ashes of plans and life all around. Where are you? And then we get to Job chapter 38, and it's my favorite chapter in the whole book of Job. Now, in Job 42, at the end, we read that God blessed Job more in the end than he did in the beginning. He had another family. He had even more money, even more livestock. Things were greater then than they were in the beginning. But that's not my favorite part. Job 38 starts off this way. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Man, I love that. I love that. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. The day the house fell down, and his kids were inside, God was silent. 
He wasn't gone. He was silent. The day that the, the enemy took all the livestock and killed the servants, God was silent. The day that Job broke out in painful sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, God was silent. And for 37 chapters, the storm rages out of control. And then the Lord spoke out of the storm. This is what he said. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, Job. I will question you, and you'll answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who lay its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Surely you know, Job. And God speaks, and he speaks, and he speaks, and he doesn't stop speaking because he has things to say to Job because God never went anywhere, and God's plan never went away. And it's in moments like this I have to remind myself that it's easy to feel like when my plans fail, it's easy to feel like everything's going to fall apart. It's easy to put too much weight on myself. It is easy to feel like the moments that I experience are the most important moments to ever exist. It's easy to feel like the events happening around me are the most monumental to ever happen. It's easy to turn the TV on, and every time I turn it on, there's some news anchor somewhere telling me about yet another unprecedented event. It's easy to feel like if it doesn't all go right, like I want it to right now, it's all over. In moments like that, I need to remember Job 38. That God spoke out of the storm. He said, where were you? And I have to remember that I was nowhere around. I was nowhere around when God laid the foundations of the earth. I was nowhere around when God measured out the dimensions of the universe. I, you, were nowhere around when God lit the first stars up. I was nowhere around when the angels first cried out in praise before the throne of God. I was nowhere around when God rescued his people from Egypt or Midian or Syria or Babylon or Persia or Assyria or Philistia or any of the other countless places that attacked them. I was nowhere around when God sent a bunch of shepherds to a stable to worship a baby sleeping in a manger. I was nowhere around when God walked his son out of a grave, victorious over death. I was nowhere around when God first sent his Holy Spirit with a rushing wind and tongues of fire to rest on his followers and inhabit his people. I was nowhere around. But God was. And he still is. And when it feels like my plan is falling apart, God's is not. I want to challenge you. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, I want to challenge you to focus less on the suffering of the moment and focus more Focus more 
on the character you walk into the moment with. Focus less on the problems that stack up and focus more on being a person who is upright and blameless and pure. And whatever sin is inside you that Satan is roaming, looking, trying to grab a hold of, you confess it and you get it out of your life and let God transform you so that you are ready to walk through any external storm that Satan throws at you. I want to invite you, if you've never followed Jesus, today to grab the lifeline that he's tossed out of the storm to you, saying, I want you to be mine because he loves you like a dad with his kid on a bicycle in the middle of the street. He knows he's given you everything you need. He just wants to help you figure it out. He wants to celebrate with you. He wants to be celebrated by you. His love and his pride in you is not, is not resting on what you have to offer him. It's on who you are. So today, surrender to Jesus and step out of the storm and step into his family, into his kingdom and say, make me new again. Today, I invite you to do that. If you never followed Jesus, I would love to talk with you at the end of our service at the Next Steps table in the lobby. Message us right now. We'll have an online discussion. I want to talk with you about following Jesus. If you followed him for a long time, then today, your next step is just forget about the suffering. Just forget about the struggles. Just block it out. And you say, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a woman who is upright and blameless, with high godly and moral character. I'm going to maintain my integrity, and I'm going to trust God no matter what. Because God's plan is not falling apart. Let's pray together. Father God, I ask that you would continue to speak to us as we prepare to leave this room in a little while. As we prepare to turn our screens off and to move on in our day, I pray you would continue to speak to us. I pray, Father, you'd remind us that you are our Father and you are our King. And you have a place for us and you have a job for us. And I pray we would block out the attack that Satan has thrown. Ignore the unravels of my plan and that we would trust you no matter what. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song together right now.